Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This is GoPowerCat.com publisher Tim Fitzgerald with great news to share with our valued 24-7 sports VIP members. As a way of saying thank you, a subscription to a CBS all-access commercial-free plan is now included with your 24-7 sports VIP membership at no additional cost. Watch all of your favorite shows on demand along with exclusive access to GoPowerCat's award-winning and one-of-a-kind coverage of Kansas State sports. Stream more than 10,000 episodes all access originals and live TV, including NFL on CBS games. Enjoy the CBS all access commercial free plan, a $99 and 99 cent annual value for the lifetime of your 24 seven sports VIP membership. It's an incredible added value for our subscribers and it's time you probably take advantage of this deal and become a go Powercat member. And remember to subscribe to the PowerCat Podcast at your favorite podcast provider, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Now, here is your PowerCat Podcast. The following is a GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street production. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat pregame podcast, presented by Robbins Motor Company, and it starts right now. Now, let's go to the WTC Gig Powered Studios. Here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Following a dramatic 48 41 victory over number five, Oklahoma. 22nd ranked Kansas State heads east to Lawrence on Saturday for the 117th edition of the Sunflower Showdown against Kansas. The game, which will kick off at 2.30 p.m., will air on FS1 and can be heard across the 39th station K-State Sports Network. K-State has won two games in a row following its triumph over OU, and the Wildcats are now 5-2 and two on the season and 2-2 two and two in Big 12 play under first-year coach Chris Kleiman. Welcome to the GoPowerCat.com PowerCat pregame podcast sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. K-State fans, visit the Robbins Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat location on Anderson Avenue in Manhattan for an exciting test drive. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the PowerCat pregame podcast. K-State has rushed for 1,396 yards this year on 301 carries as it ranks fifth in the Big 12 in rushing and ranks 10 in school history in yards per carry at 4.62. The Wildcats also have 20 rushing touchdowns, including six last week 
against OU after tallying only 20 rushing scores a year ago. Quarterback Skylar Thompson logged a masterful performance last Saturday against Oklahoma. That included four rushing touchdowns. The K-State defense enters the week ranked highly in many statistical categories, including ranking second in third down defense, but the Cats have surrendered only 19 total third down conversions this season, which is the fewest in the FBS. Kansas under first-year coach Les Miles enters the Sunflower Showdown fresh off a 37-34 home victory over Texas Tech last week to improve to 3-5 and five on the season and 1-4 and four in Big 12 play. Quarterback Carter Stanley leads the Jayhawks offense with 1,900 passing yards and 19 touchdowns through the air. Running back Puka Williams is averaging 100.6 yards per game on the ground and five different receivers have have 20 or more catches for the Jayhawks, led by Andrew Parchment's 42. Kansas leads the all-time series 64, 47, and 5, but Kansas State has won each of the last 10 meetings and 23 of the last 28, dating back to 1991. The Wildcats' average margin of victory over the last 10 years is 25.6, while they have hit the 45-point mark in 5 of those contests. However, the series has been closer as of late with the last three games being decided by a margin of 9.7, including last year's 21-17 K-State victory in Manhattan. But when you talk about this KU team, you have to start with the resurgence of the Kansas offense under new coordinator Brent Deerman. KU is lighting up the scoreboard with Deerman's run-pass option approach, and I asked Coach Chris Kleiman about it earlier this week. I think KU's just really solid in their balance right now. Um, you know, and they get into a lot more personnel groups than a lot of the Big 12 teams that we've played so far. I mean, they can pack it in with a couple of tight ends and, um, and, and a couple of wide receivers, or they can spread you out in four wide. And, and uh, obviously the running back can do so many things in and out of the backfield, and they hand him jet sweeps and stuff. So um, they just... And I, and I know they're they're continuing to put more of their offense in, and uh, so I think we'll see some some unique things or different things that we haven't seen uh, so far this year. But uh, uh, really impressed with their with their offense right now. And now let's get going with the Go Powercat Roundtable session. Ryan Wallace in Kansas City, Riley Gates to my right, D. Scott Fritchin to my left, and it's the Sunflower Showdown, the lamest name for a series in college football. I would take old rusty bucket or something over this, <laughs> the Sunflower Showdown. But this year, Ryan Wallace, this game has substance. Two first-year coaches coming off big wins for their program. K-State beating number 5 Oklahoma. Texas Tech losing at Kansas on a kind of fluky play. But when things turn around, you start getting those fluky things in your favor. Both teams feeling good. I expect a big crowd at Memorial Stadium on Saturday. It's kind of nice, isn't it, to have this game mean something? Yeah, I mean, who could have ever thought that this would be the storyline going into the Sunflower Showdown? You know, you, you kind of just assumed that uh, up until last week, that it would kind of be, you know, which team is going to kind of rewrite the end of the season. And instead, it's become, gosh, what team is, you know, could, could rattle off two in a row if, if you're KU, three in a row if, if you're K-State, 
and, you know, really kind of rewrite the storyline not only of their season but of the Big 12. Uh, this is going to be, for the first time in a while, uh, a very fun Sunflower Showdown and, and one that I think has a lot of kind of underlying factors. There's a lot of um, maybe beneath-the-surface kind of drama that could make this game even more entertaining than what's on the surface. I assume you're talking about some recruiting there. There's some things here at stake in the recruiting world with how K-State and KU are perceived among some pretty good players in the region. Sure. I mean, and not just, you know, how this sets the stage for the 2021 class in addition to, you know, how they fill out the 2020 class, whether it be scholarships or walk-ons. You know, both these schools are always competing for uh, the best in-state players to also walk on. But, you know, beyond that, you know, you look at the Kansas roster, they have two significant freshmen, one on offense, one on defense, um, that have really become integral parts of this unit uh, on defense. It's starting linebacker Gavin Potter, a former K-State commitment. And I think fans probably remember what happened on signing day and, and how that one all went down. And then on offense, uh, aside from – Puka Williams, a running back and a wide receiver in Belton Gardner um, that's just an electric player who was also committed to K-State last year for upwards of five five months. So, uh, yeah, there's there's definitely some, like I said, some underlying storylines to this one. D. Scott Fritchin, where does this game sit in the course of the rivalry between Kansas State and Kansas? Well, I've been trying to think about it. Um, I think it's the most hyped one, obviously, since uh, Snyder came back in 2009 because, of course, uh, people were wondering um, if the Jayhawks would actually win four straight against K-State after the uh, debacle with uh, Ron Prince over those um, last previous three years. But, um, you know, the energy this week also reminds me of the 1994 game when K-State beat Kansas 21-13 in Lawrence. That was Snyder's first win in Lawrence and the first win by K-State in Lawrence since 1969. There was a newness and electricity throughout that week, kind of that you sense that K-State was on the, on the verge of something. Yeah. Well, I think Chris Kleiman could be on the verge of something, but then you look at Les Miles and who knows what's going to happen. Riley Gates, you've studied Les Miles closely. Yeah, sure. By watching that <laughs> nonsense show on ESPN Plus. But he's played this down. He kind of ignored K-State, didn't mention K-State, and now this week it's a rivalry. I'm very curious about how he's approaching this. It's kind of weird. Yeah, and you know, I, I maybe I shouldn't say this that you don't really have a lot of necessarily backing to this claim, but I just got a weird vibe when I was in um, Dallas this summer. You know, with the guys for Big Twelve Media Day and asking Les Miles about Chris Kleiman's accomplishments at, at North Dakota State, and you know, he kind of seemed to downplay him a little bit. Oh, you know, it's FCS, and somebody asked him, "Can can he succeed at this level?" And he said we'll find out and that kind of seemed like you know oh maybe maybe a little bit of a jab and then mm -hmm. you know then you had chris Kleiman saying oh well i you know i didn't wear all my championship rings because i would have had to pick from so you know it kind of i don't know maybe i was love reading it. into it too much oh, but it, it. it kind of felt like a a little bit of a rivalry already starting to brew up there for me and so i've been really interested in this game um even before the season started i was always um eager and you know obviously if you're a k-state fan you've been fighting the whole time and 
hey, we, we hired the best coach. And then KU said, oh, no, we got less miles. And I just think there's a lot of intrigue to this. Even if KU had lost to Texas Tech and even if KU had, you know, come was coming in this game at, you know, two and six or, or something like that, you know, I, I think there would still be intrigue no matter what KU had done and what K-State had done this season so far. It's so big for both of these first-year coaches. If you're less miles, it kind of propels you forward. you got to win over your rival, a program that's been more successful. And if you're Chris Kleiman, you just kind of get it in the rear view. You get bowl eligible, and you can move on with things. But, Wally, this key football team has found some life with Brent Deerman as offensive coordinator. They've embraced this RPO offense doing you know the run pass option thing and very well they're confident in it but it's turned Carter Stanley into a really good and efficient quarterback who's making better decisions he just seems like a different guy right now running this offense Brent Deerman, uh, what he's been able to do in three games is pretty remarkable. I mean, you look at the last three contests where KU's gone one and two, but been competitive uh, in probably two out of the three, maybe even, you know, two and a half out of the three. This new coordinator has KU averaging, you know, upwards of almost 550 yards a game, you know, over seven yards a play. They've scored, get this, they've scored a total of 105 points in the three games Brent Deerman has, has called. Uh, offensively in the games before Brent Deerman, they had scored 110 total. So they've almost eclipsed that in, you know, half the time. With Carter Stanley, it's, you know, it's interesting you bring him up because I think out of high school, he had pretty good tape. He's one of those guys that's always been able to make some throws, but, you know, kind of make some uh, miscues and tries to force some things at times. And I think Brent Deerman's come in and said, you know, there's no need for that. We don't need to make the big play because the offense is stalled. We're going to get you in situations where we can catch the team off guard. And the more I've watched KU the last three weeks, you know, it's going to be eerily similar in a way to the Art Bryles style that we saw Baylor run because it's still very, you know, heavily relied on, on Puka Williams in that run game. Um, but then it sets up the big plays. You know, it's not this Oklahoma, Texas Tech kind of dink and dunk, you know, and then catch you over the top. It's, it's definitely kind of run, whether it be with Carter Stanley, you know, possessing the ball with his feet or Puka Williams, um, maybe a couple of little short out routes, but then they catch you over the top. Um, it, it's definitely going to be about Kansas State slowing the run so that you don't open up those big, big pass plays to, again, a group of receivers that, you know, also help make Carter Stanley look good. They're, they've got some above-average playmakers, guys that you're maybe not used to seeing KU have in, in recent memory. Yeah, they do. They have good bodies on the offensive side of the ball. And speaking of offense, Riley, K-State's offense sprang to life, but it was mostly because of Skylar Thompson was at his very best. That was the best we've seen him play. Going back and watching the game, he was fairly incredible. He made throw after throw that needed to be made. He, When he ran the ball, he did it very effectively. That version of Skylar Thompson is going to be hard to beat. Yeah, it, it kind of felt every time he would make one of those throws into those tight windows, you were like, oh, Skylar, don't do that. And then it would make it through the window yeah. and complete pass. It, very impressive, I, I thought. The one that just keeps standing out to me is that one to Dalton shown on the K-State sideline. Three guys right there by him, and Skylar just fits it through the tightest window I think I've ever seen him do. And Very impressive. Obviously, the running attack for Skyler was was pretty big. He he knew when to go. He knew what holes to hit. That just brought so much life. We've talked about it a lot on, on other podcasts, but uh, 
K-State has to run the ball with Skylar Thompson in order for this offense to to open up. It just creates all that much more of a you know another dimension that that teams have to guard um, and, and be ready for. And it just it makes them that much uh, more. It opens up much more of the playbook, um, and you know we've seen them start to add in a little bit more too. And I think that that is because Skyler is a, a running threat. But games like that Oklahoma game, he gets up for. You know we saw it at Oklahoma State a couple of years ago. We saw it in this one against Oklahoma. He get he he's always going to show up for these big games. He's always going to make those plays. And I think he's just a lot more comfortable when things are going well early, both offensively and defensively. And obviously things went well early in this one. Dick Scott, Carter Stanley went through a bad case of playing hokey-pokey with David Beatty. He put his quarterback in. He pulled his quarterback out. He put his quarterback (laughs) in. He shook his confidence all about. He's had some really ups and downs at Kansas. You know, he had those earlier in the season. He threw some crucial interceptions in that loss to Coastal Carolina. I've really questioned his quality overall as a quarterback. And now he's suddenly looking like a really good quarterback. He's rewarding Les Miles for being very, very committed to making him their starting quarterback. But we got to put an asterisk by his career. Carter Stanley's always been good against Kansas State. He shows up for this game. It's been really baffling to watch how good he's been in K-State games. Yeah, uh, playing under two different offensive coordinators, first Rob Likens and then Doug Meacham, Carter Stanley is responsible for Kansas's two biggest passing performances in the Sunflower Showdown over the last decade. You think about it, he uh, had 302 yards against K-State in that 34-19 loss to K-State in 2016. And then he had a career-high 418 yards with one touchdown and one interception in the 30-20 loss to K-State in 2017. Now, if you lay everything out, he's on his fourth offensive coordinator in four years. And uh, I think he just continues to get better and better. You know, his 418 passing yards against K-State was the fifth most in Kansas history. And he's really kind of shown me a little bit of Todd Reesing, some of those stats that he's coming up with. It's going to be really interesting to see what Kansas State's pass defense, which is 27th in the country, might be able to do against them on Saturday. These receivers for Kansas, Wally, They're better than K-State's receivers. We just got to say it. Andrew Parchment is a big-time player. He's pretty much the best-case scenario if you're going to get a receiver out of the junior college ranks. He came in. He made an immediate impact for KU. He had his year at Northern Illinois, so he kind of understood it a little bit. But when they need something done, Parchment's usually their guy. And, boy, he's kind of fun to watch, isn't he? You know, he is. I mean, Parchment is definitely the big play guy. He's the guy they're going to send vertical you know, a, a tall, experienced receiver, like you said. But uh, the thing that has caught my eye is, you know, we've seen Stephon Robinson come yep. alive. Uh, you know, Daylon Charlotte was a former four-star kid that everybody wanted that KU was able to get in the transfer market, you know, out of uh, away from Nick Saban in Alabama. So that, you know, gives you kind of all you need to know about his, at least his athletic ability. But they, they spread the ball around to these guys. I mean, yeah. they'll get Puka Williams out there. They'll get Belton Gardner out there. Kwame Lassiter is out there. I mean, you've got guys, you know, all four of those guys, uh, aside from Belton Gardner, but if you look at Parchment, Robinson, Lassiter, Charlotte, and Puka Williams all have 20 receptions this year, at least. Um, so they're going to spread it around, but they're all averaging, you know, close to – 
11, 12 yards. You know, Parchment's up there 15-yard average per catch. So that's where I'm saying, you know, not only is it is – it, it's, it's not so much this dink and dunk RPO stuff. You know, it's, it's making teams commit to stopping Puka Williams and Carter Stanley on the ground. And then it's letting Carter Stanley find the open guys downfield because he's, he's deadly accurate on deep balls. He does, D. Scott. He's got big play receivers, and he makes big plays with them. Absolutely. Guess which team is third in the Big 12 in pass completions of 50-plus yards this season. All of a sudden, KU was putting up some great passing numbers, as I said before, on pace for the second-most passing yards this decade. But you look at this, Parchment has receptions of 75, 70, and 50 yards against West Virginia, Texas Tech, and Texas. And then you look at Robinson, and in the last two games, he had receptions of 65 and 53 yards. It's really incredible the way they've been able to spread the field. And, oh, yeah, Puka Williams has 20 catches in addition to running the ball. This offense really makes the most of their their best offensive tool. The kid can really play. Well, that's the thing. You know, we've been sitting here, and it feels like all week we've been like, how good is Carter Stanley? Um, they throw these big, deep downfield passes to their receivers. And we have hardly touched on Puka Williams when we've spoken to K-State coaches and players this week. I mean, it, he's almost been an afterthought, um, which is crazy because he's still one of the most talented running backs in the entire Big 12 Conference. His numbers are still big despite missing that first game of the season with the suspension. So, yeah, I, I, I really hope that, you know, He's not forgotten. I'm sure he's not, obviously, in the Scotty Hazleton game plan for this weekend, but it almost feels like he's being forgotten about right now, maybe by us, by fans. But I think Puka Williams has that ability to hurt you, you know, whether it's in the running game, whether it's in the the running back passing game. And, you know, I I think K-State's done, obviously, a very good job of containing runs to a certain extent, but they've given up those big plays. We go back to that Oklahoma State game, and you're just watching Chuba Hubbard just run all day. Puka Williams has that kind of ability to do that. And, you know, you don't want to get so locked in on defending the pass and and shutting down Carter Stanley that, oh, there goes Puka for 45, and there he goes for 30, and suddenly he's at 200 yards and two scores. Riley set that up perfectly because I I think that, to me, that's why, and and I want to get your guys' opinion, that's why I think in this game, to me, with the big plays over the top, you know, K-State's going to have to be honest in the secondary with those safeties. You know, you can't bring guys – up into the box to help as much with Puka because you you got to help over the top with Parchment and, and Robinson and these guys. So to me, it, it comes down. I think the linebacker play on Saturday is going to be absolutely crucial. You know, guys like Patton, Sullivan, and Green uh, have got to help in the run game, uh, stopping Puka Williams and not letting him get to the second level. No, you're going to have to wrap up. Tackling is always important. It's football. K State hasn't always been good at it. They were better at it against Oklahoma. But you can't let Puka Williams get out of that first tackle. And he's so slippery. And he's deceivingly strong for a guy that small. You watch him and people try to bring him down. And he just kind of stays on his feet and keeps trying to go forward. It's really kind of fun to watch the kid play. But another thing for you, Ryan Wallace, it kind of proves. In recruiting, just because you're down doesn't mean you're out. Because you can sell playing time, and that's what David Beatty's staff did with Puka Williams, and it really paid off. They kind of stole a really good running back that had been able to come in and be the focus of their offense from day one. That's what the kid wanted. Here's his opportunity. Yeah, I mean, getting Tony Hall on the previous Kansas staff um, was absolutely huge. You know, He's the guy that was able to convince Daylon Charlotte to come, Puka Williams to come. Uh, Mike Lee to come. I mean, he has been the the key in, in Louisiana, and so it's 
of course, Les Miles was uh, able to, to keep him on. You know, you had to keep him on and carry him over. Uh, and it's one of those things that comes up every year, guys. You know, every single year, you know, whether it's the K-State fan base or another Big 12 fan base, Everybody wonders what's going on with KU because they they've been able to recruit before this this hasn't just happened when Les Miles showed up. The question is, can it continue? You know, if Kansas doesn't you know win the amount of games that, that you think that they should um, this year, they've already kind of exceeded expectations to a certain extent, and so you would think that um, you know you won't see the drop off um, that we're used to seeing. But already they've lost the 2021 commit. So the question is with, with Les Miles, it's not, you know, it's, this is the easy part. You can sell being the new hope, being the, the difference maker, the class that, that, you know, revitalizes Kansas football. Um, but when you continue to lose games, you know, that, that selling point, that pitch becomes harder and harder to, to deliver. And it's gotten the best of just about every Kansas coach to date. We'll see if, if it catches up with Les Miles. It's kind of the meeting of a team that doesn't want to give up big plays in Kansas State. Has done a pretty good job of that the last two weeks. They gave up a couple to Oklahoma that led to touchdowns. That almost feels like a victory, only doing two of those in the course of a game. Kansas loves the big play, particularly in the passing game. And D. Scott, K-State somehow leads the nation in the fewest passing touchdowns allowed. That one snuck up on me. How about that? Yeah, K-State, number one in the FBS. Fewest passing touchdowns allowed with Ohio State, Kentucky, and Penn State. In fact, K-State's pass defense 27th right now in the country, enjoying its best overall season since 2003. Wow. <laughs> when the Wildcats ranked 7th against the pass. You know, this year they've allowed only four touchdowns. They have six interceptions. But the, the touchdowns have been big ones. Tommy Stevens threw a 35-yard touchdown pass to Osiris Mitchell. Spencer Sanders, a three-yard pass to Logan Carter. Charlie Brewer, a 29-yard pass to Tyquan Thornton. And Jalen Hurts, that 70-yarder, CeeDee Lamb, which was big. Mostly CeeDee Lamb on that play. Mostly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind, of, kind of amazing. I might have been able to get it to CeeDee Lamb right yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Give it to CeeDee. Go run. So it is funny, Ryan Wallace, how this K-State defense kind of snuck up on us. They're playing better then maybe some of their numbers show they gave up 41. They gave up 9.4 yards a play to Oklahoma, and yet they only ran 53 plays. They either got them to kick field goals enough or got them off the field in three and outs enough to let the offense win. And that's really going to be it. You're not going to shut this KU team out, are you? You're just going to have to go pick your battles, get them off the field, and let that offense kind of start just grinding away and eating up the clock and further keep the KU offense off the field with time of possession control. Yeah, I mean, if there's two things I think that play into K-State's advantage in this one from a defensive standpoint, it's, you know, we've talked about what KU is able to do when they have a full field in front of them because they're all about, you know, setting up that big play that D. Scott was talking about, those big chunk receiving yard plays. Uh, but then what I've noticed in, in the last few weeks when they get down into the red zone and that field gets smaller and smaller, there's not as much for them to work with. And I think teams kind of are able to sell out for the run with Puka Williams. And, you know, they've taken three, four downs inside the red zone to punch it in. And so I think K-State's been very good at times of holding teams, you know, with their backs against the wall. Uh, the other thing that K-State has been good at at times is creating costly turnovers for the opponent. Since the last time KU won in 2008, 
There's a K-State t- defense that has forced 30 turnovers to KU six, you know, over the last 10 years of this game. So turnover battle as it is in just about every game, especially this one, if KU wants to be in this game, they've got to create turnovers. If K-State wants to continue succeeding against KU, uh, creating more of those costly turnovers is going to be huge. And K-State doesn't turn the ball over very much, Riley. And KU has. Carter Stanley, for all he's done well this season, has thrown some interceptions. They put the ball on the turf. They've lacked any kind of substance on special teams. There's some real opportunities in the game here outside of X's and O's of offense versus defense. Yeah, you know, and I think that uh – what K-State did last week against Oklahoma is is a pretty encouraging sign, you know, moving forward. They get those those forced fumbles, or I guess, you know, one forced fumble, one that was kind of borderline fumble. They ended up ruling an incomplete pass on Jalen Hurts. but And then, obviously, the, the A.J. Parker interception. They've been doing a very good job of creating those turnovers. I think they've got the defensive line pressure to kind of rattle quarterbacks and either force fumbles or force them into some bad throws. And KU is is probably not as composed of a team um, as, as probably Oklahoma is. And I think that you can get back there and rattle them, especially a guy like Wyatt Hubert, you know, probably has a lot to prove in this game, being a Kansas kid, wanting to prove his worth um, in the Sunflower Showdown. And, and he's been playing phenomenal recently. And so I think he could get back there, perhaps, uh, you know, cause a few of those turnovers. And everyone would be welcome in a game like this, for sure. K-State is among the nation's leaders in fewest turnovers. And as Ryan Wallace pointed out, they don't turn the ball over in this series very much. That's a trend that better continue. Yeah, K-State's turned the ball over six times in 617 plays from scrimmage against KU in the last decade. Only two of those are interceptions. Jake Waters threw one in 2013. Guess who the second one was? Hmm. The second quarterback to do it was Cody Cook in 2015. That's it. Two interceptions in a decade. It'll be really interesting to see what K-State's able to do against these Jayhawks if they're able to possess the ball. Air, air quotes, quarterback Cody Cook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the receiver playing quarterback. Okay, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Open mic here, all three of you. If you're picking Kansas, speak now and tell me why. That's what I thought. Okay, so let's do this. Uh, we're all picking K-State to win this game. I'm not going to ask for a prediction. Starting with you, Ryan Wallace, give me on a scale of 1 to 10 your concern that K-State could get itself into trouble in Lawrence and lose this game. And when you're talking about a scale from 1 to 10, 10 would be like I'm very nervous. Yeah, it's a big-time problem. Honestly, and maybe I should be more concerned with all the, like I said, the underlying you know, scenarios and storylines and things like that. But I'm at about a three or a four. I mean, the reason is, is is I think that Chris Kleiman knows the importance of this game. I think uh, coming off the the win against Oklahoma with this team, this experienced bunch, I just don't see them letting up in a rivalry game like this. And I always go back to this, guys. No matter what, I I always go back to the roster that K-State has against the Kansas roster, and I'm not talking about talent level. 59 players for K-State are in-state guys, Kansas sunflower-bred guys, only 27 for the Jayhawks. To me, that, that, that means something. You know, and I think when, when Kansas used to uh, challenge K-State, you know, uh, not only back in the, in the mid-'90s, but even under Mark Mangino, 
Um, whether it was walk-ons, whether it was guys like Jake Sharp that they were able to get on scholarship, they had guys that this game was significant to. And for whatever reason, Kansas coaches since then haven't invested as much as the K-State coaches, whether it's Phil Snyder or Chris Kleiman. And that seems to mean something to me. And so I'm, I'm at about a three or a four. I also think, last little thing, the, the defenses that KU has, has had this surge in offense against don't really show, I think, what, what K-State will put on the field. You know, I think Texas Tech, uh, we saw what Oklahoma can do sometimes when they're tested, and Texas has been beat up. Uh, this will be one of the better defenses the Jayhawks have seen in a couple weeks. I'll, I'll go with a solid three right there as well. Um, I do respect KU's offense right now. I'm very impressed by what Brent Deerman is doing, and I think that he is is the man to help turn this around right now you know if you're a k-state fan hopefully he gets out of lawrence pretty soon in my opinion but i agree with a lot with what wally closed with there ku has not seen a defense like this they've seen good defenses don't get me wrong you know oklahoma has talented players that they have a talented defensive coordinator but the numbers speak for themselves i mean they've been so good against the pass this year and, and ku likes to make those big plays off the pass. I think K-State will come out and be able to uh, shut down this KU offense pretty well. And the numbers don't lie on the other side of the ball. KU gives up over 200 yards a game both in the air and on the ground. One of those things, if not both of them, are going to go well for K-State. And I just think this one means a lot to these players, to this coaching staff. I'm honestly, you'll see my score prediction on the site later this week in the pregame edge. I I don't think it's going to be all that close of a game. A million to nothing? Yeah, pretty close, okay. sure. <laughs> I think Puka Williams is going to test this defense. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm only putting it at a, at a four, at a ten, on my concern level. But yeah, I go back to the paper stuff. And K State's number five in time of possession, and KU's 113th in time of possession. K State's a top 40 team in rushing the ball. KU's 123rd against the rush, and then uh, KU gives up a lot on on third down defense as well so if K-State is able to punch its card and do what it did against OU offensively I think they'll be in really good shape I guess I'm the most pessimistic of the bunch I'll put it at a five I'm really concerned about the big play capability of Kansas I'm concerned about coming off a big win if you're the Wildcats I'm intrigued by how Les Miles mentally handles his team Wally, I think your stat about the number of in-state kids on the two rosters is important. It's going to be have more substance to those kids if they're in-state, and there's a heck of a lot more of them in the K-State locker room. I think that might translate to all the players that are from out of state and even those guys who are from out of state and have never been in this game before, like James Gilbert and Jordan Brown, the guys that have just walked into this. They're going to find out throughout this week that this game's pretty important. Thank you, gentlemen. That will wrap up this week's roundtable session with the Go Paracat staff. And as we get ready to bring in Scott Chasen from the KU affiliate on the 24-7 Sports Network, let's hear from Coach Chris Kleiman on the meaning of this KU-K-State rivalry. I know it's a big game, uh, obviously, you know, with the Governor's Cup and, and um, a trophy game and those things. And I think those things are, are, are neat, part of college football, the rivalries. I think those are great. 
but once again, I, we can't get caught up in all that. We, we, we have to get caught up in uh, making sure that we come up with great game plans uh, this week and that the guys uh, understand the details of the plan and, and don't get ahead of ourselves and, and make sure that we have a great week. And now we welcome in our good friend, Scott Chasen, who runs Fog.net for the 24-7 Sports Network to talk a little bit about this K-State KU game Saturday in Lawrence. Scott, thanks for doing this. First of all, let's just handle Les Miles. What has he brought to this KU program that was missing? Well, I, I think the first thing is credibility, and maybe I mean that more in names than anything else. That's not to uh, put down his coaching, certainly, but uh, just looking at the past coaches, past faces in the KU program, I mean, uh, you know, the Charlie Weiss thing has become kind of a laughing stock. David Beatty obviously didn't work out. And at the end of his tenure, I think people really soured on uh, just about, I mean, every part of his approach, the funny, little, witty, clever joke sayings in press conferences that used to, you know, make fans laugh and whatnot became things that kind of aggravated people. And Les Miles not only brings a fresh look, but he brings someone with a name, you know, a name that recruits know, a name that fans and boosters are, are willing to support and give another chance. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of thought when the fire was going around from people outside the program that, hey, maybe Kansas should take a chance on an up-and-comer or you know, go do something aggressive in hiring. And I think there's always a case to be made for that. But uh, at the same time, you know, you, you have to win back a lot of fans that have soured over the last decade. And I think just bringing Les Miles in the door helped do that. And then I think it's also helped, uh, again, on the recruiting trail with boosters and just with building up a program, adding support staff and, and raising money for a KU football program that hasn't been very good. Well, this KU team is 3-5 and five overall and 1-4 and four in the Big 12, but I feel like you almost have to put an asterisk on this season for KU because everything changed a couple weeks ago when Les Miles dismissed his previous offensive coordinator and promoted the analyst Brent Dearman to offensive coordinator. And it's a whole new team for KU. I mean, in terms of offense, they're just putting up incredible number of points the last two weeks, 48 and a loss at Texas, 37 and earning Les Miles' first Big 12 win at KU last week with Texas Tech. Deerman's offense is the real deal, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And what's funny about that is you could say that KU should have scored more. I mean, they've had two field goals that were blocked in addition to the third field goal that was blocked. They ended up getting a field goal out of it against Texas Tech. So they've had two field goals they missed out on and two extra points as well. So they've put up 85 points in two weeks, and uh, the number should actually be 93. They've had 1,100 yards of offense. Uh, it's it's been pretty remarkable. Eleven offensive touchdowns, and yeah, Brent Thierman is a guy that you know. I, I talked to a bunch of recruits after this weekend, and multiple uh, recruits commits in the classes of 2020 and 2021 for KU told me that they believe that if Brent Thierman was the offensive coordinator from week one, KU wouldn't be three and five. And I would tend to agree with that. You go back to. Uh, the Coastal Carolina game, KU put up seven points. Puka Williams is running straight forward up the middle into eight, nine, and ten-man boxes. Uh, those are things that it doesn't take an offensive genius to know that uh, you're not using his skill set the best way when you take your smaller, elusive running back and uh, use him like you would Leonard Fournette if you happen to have him at Kansas. So uh, I think the offense looks different. They're still running the ball. It's actually a pretty even split in terms of run and pass. Uh, I would just say schematically they're doing a lot more. Brent Dearman is good at coaching on the fly, too. He's not going to be married to a script or a game plan. He's going to watch the defense and react based off that. And the adjustment he made last game was throwing more deep passes. KU had four plays go for 48 or more yards of the pass game. 
Three were touchdowns. One was down at the one-yard line. I think that shows right there that Brent Thierman, he, he is definitely cut out for this. That certainly has to be a concern for Kansas State going into this game because K-State has given up big plays in the passing game. They did it a couple of times last week with Oklahoma and still found a way to win. So keeping KU away from those deep balls will be important. And the thing I love about what they're doing right now is this offense fits Carter Stanley, and he's confident. He's just a different guy. Less miles stood by him. Now they've got the offense that works for him. And Carter Stanley has blossomed into a really tangible leader for this program. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think you hit it right on the head. I, I mean, uh, just think about in any job you could do, anyone listening can relate to this. If you didn't know if you would have your job, if you had a bad week or not even a bad week, a bad day, a bad start to a day, it makes it that much harder. And I go back to last year when Carter Stanley throws for like 250 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions against Oklahoma State. It was one of the best games of his career. And after the game, David Beatty said he hoped all the quarterbacks would be healthy so they could have competition going into the next week. And four pass attempts into his next start, Carter Stanley was benched. Now, he did throw an interception. But again, this is a guy coming off a 250-yard, three-touchdown, no-interception game, and he got benched four passes later. I don't know how... Or, or I, I guess Carter Stanley just naturally would have to be, uh, I would say, would have to show improvement just in terms of having a coach that's saying, hey, you're going to be our guy, and both Brent Thierman and Les Miles have said this. So I, I think that's part of it. That would give you confidence. And then also, uh, I think schematically they're doing more, and uh, Stanley looks like a more decisive decision maker. I also think this offense is suited to his strengths. Uh, he's been doing the RPO since he was in high school, and uh, it's it's good for him to get uh, kind of get a chance to show that you know maybe he's a little bit better or worth a little bit more than maybe the previous regime thought and let's stick with the passing game for Kansas they have four receivers that have 20 or more receptions plus Puka Williams out of the backfield so that's a really diverse ability to catch the ball but man I love Andrew Parchment a guy who's kind of taken a broken road to get to Lawrence Kansas Northern Illinois then Iowa Central and now as a junior college transfer coming to Kansas but he has fit in he's hit the ground running he's big he's fast he's reliable he's everything you want in a big 12 receiver yeah, he, he does it all, and we had heard hype about him coming into the Jayhawks fall camp and, and even in the spring. And, you know, look, I was a little bit skeptical of it. I think Juco guys can largely be hit or miss, but uh, Andrew Parchment's the real deal in just about every facet. I mean, he makes difficult catches. He'll run by you. He uh, has, I wouldn't call it deceptive speed. I think he's just fast. But uh, there are times when it seems like maybe he has, like, a hesitation mode or he'll disguise a route by kind of flowing up and then speeding by a guy. He blocks down. Field well. There was a run earlier this season where I think he made it like 50 yards down the field before the receiver or the uh, the defensive back on his side even realized that it was a run play. And then Parchment proceeded to block, and and Khalil Herbert was who was the one running the ball actually made it. I think inside the 10 yard line it was like an 80 yard run or something like that. But you no know, KU's receivers. It's funny. Really, there's a group of three that I think have separated themselves. Parchman is the kind of do-everything number one guy. Uh, Stephon Robinson just has a knack for getting open, and he's had multiple touchdowns in two straight weeks now. And then Dalen Charlotte, he may not have the biggest game, but uh, when KU gets to crucial downs, third and fourth downs, late games, and they're going to rely on a receiver to make a one-on-one play, it's going to be Charlotte. He had a huge third-down catch against Tech, huge fourth-down catch against Texas. 
even in the first game of the season, he got the game-winning touchdown from Carter Stanley. So uh, those three guys would be the names I'd look at at wide receiver. Well, let's pivot to the running back position. And you mentioned uh, Khalil Herbert, who has left the program and really left Puka Williams as the primary back. He was always the starter, but now he's getting a vast majority of the snaps at running back. And this offense fits him so well because, as you mentioned earlier in this conversation, defenses can't just zero in on him. With that run-pass option always in this offense, they may hand it to him, they may not. Everything is about getting your eyes in the right place, and if you don't, Puka Williams is right by you. This kid has really picked up his production under the Deerman offense. Yeah, and, and they're just getting it to the edge more. And, and like I said earlier, too, just not running them up the middle in obvious run stop, you know, where the defense is in an obvious run stopping situation. And look, I, I'm not going to say that any offensive coordinator could have made Puka Williams' production, but I will say we witnessed games just watching Puka Williams where he didn't look like himself. He looked like, uh, not to, you know, put Kansas down, he looked like your average Kansas running back. Now, obviously, Kansas started the year with two guys who would be much better than, you know, your even your average Big 12 running back. But, uh, you know, it, it was almost interesting that Les Kenning found ways to make him look average to below average. And now with Brent Gehrman, you're seeing that open right back up. I, I think fans across the Big 12 know how good he is. Obviously, first team all Big 12 last year, preseason all, uh, first team all Big 12 this year. Uh, he's, he probably won't get there, but he, he is getting a chance to show that he is still the same Puka Williams from last year. Well, the offense is healthy and thriving at Kansas right now, but other aspects of this team continue to struggle, and that's a big reason why Kansas couldn't hang on at Texas, and that's the defense and special teams have kind of been bugaboos for for KU. Let's start with the defense. There are some really good players on this defense. It just hasn't all clicked for the Hawks. I love Mike Lee, the free safety. I think he's a fabulous football player and has a chance to play in the league. But what's going wrong and right with this KU defense right now? Well, you mentioned on the right side, I mean, they, they do have talented defensive backs. They, uh, again, for Kansas, this is a compliment, maybe not for other teams. They don't have the worst secondary in the conference. So that's a plus. They actually have a pretty good secondary. Uh, but, again, the issue you run into is the front seven to start the year were entirely new starters. None of those players were starters from last year's team. There was also a change in system going, you know, with a new defensive coordinator, even though Clint Bowen was sticking around. Uh, on the defensive staff. And then uh, beyond that, you've had injuries at the thinnest position for KU. That's the inside linebacker spot. And, you know, KU has had Joe Deneen basically taking care of that for years now. And uh, you're, you're getting to see what it looks like when you replace that with a true freshman because Gavin Potter, a name that KU, uh, K-State fans will know uh, as well as KU fans, has been the one to fill in after the injury to Drew Prox. Prox, I think, will be out for the year. We haven't I've really heard an update on his status in a while, but uh, he has not played, and, and he was the leading tackler for the Jayhawks through their first, I, I believe, their first four games before he got injured. Uh, and, and not having him has been a huge loss. Kyron Johnson, uh, the second inside linebacker, has also been banged at the time. So KU has relied on faces that uh, maybe they didn't expect to in year one and maybe relied on them a little bit more than they expected to. It's left the defense vulnerable, and again, like Gavin Potter is playing hard, he gets in the right spot at times. He's shown the ability to rush the quarterback, but at the end of the day, he's a true freshman playing inside linebacker in the Big 12. 
that's a very difficult position to put someone in. And special teams have struggled for Kansas, although KU got the big game-winning field goal against Texas Tech. It just didn't come the way you would want it to with a blocked field goal picked up and then fumbled. I don't know what that was by Texas Tech and recovered (laughs) by Kansas for a second try. Uh, Little miracles, those add up into success for football programs, but special teams have to get solved, don't they? Yeah, well, you said special teams have struggled. Using that terminology, I would say the Titanic struggled with its maiden voyage. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, blocked kicks, missed field goals. KU used, I mean, there was a kicking battle that went into the year, went back and forth. Two different kickers have kicked in games. Liam Jones appears to be the guy, and, uh, you know, he's obviously missed a few kicks. But even beyond that, just blocking uh, on kicks. I mean, the Jayhawks have had something like three or four blocked kicks and extra points uh, combining both of them over the last two weeks. And again, that kind of covers up that you're just like, Hey, well, if they could just get the kick off, it's going in. That, that hasn't been the case either for Katie this year. They also have missed a bunch of kicks. They were obviously replacing uh, their, you know, uh, Gabriel Rui, who was a, a pretty solid kicker in the Big 12 type one year, where he may have led them the, the conference, and I, I forget what kicking category it was, but he was a pretty reliable kicker for KU. Then the punting game, you have Kyle Thompson, who entered the season as one of the best punters in the conference, and uh, he's really struggled at times this year, too. The Jayhawks have had issues kicking the ball just in bounds, like on kickoff, they've had issues with field goals, punting, uh, return coverage at times has been an issue. Uh, it's really every area, and it's kind of surprising to see, given uh, obviously Les Miles' reputation. But yeah, special teams need to get a lot better. And uh, and yeah, if uh, if those folks on the Titanic want to reboot that, they'll have some more to do too. Well, if his voice sounds familiar, it should. His name's Scott Jason. He co-hosts the Drive with me every Sunday night on WIBW in Topeka. And if you're outside the viewing area or you miss an episode, of course you can listen to a podcast version of the Drive every Monday morning at both fog.net and gopowercat.com. Scott, we appreciate you joining us today on the Powercat Pregame Podcast. Thanks for having me, and see you Sunday. And on the other side of this short break, we've got our analyst crew lined up and ready to talk to you about the Cats and Hawks Saturday in Lawrence. Marcus Watts, Brian Hanley, and Kelly Stewart with the gambling angle, all on the Powercat Pregame Podcast. We will be right back. The experts from GoPowerCat.com will return with more on the PowerCat pregame podcast presented by Robbins Motor Company. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. 
We now send it back to the PowerCat podcast. Joining you once again, it's Tim Fitzgerald and Go PowerCat football analyst Marcus Watts. Welcome back to the PowerCat pregame podcast sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. The dedicated team of automotive professionals at Robbins Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat will match you with a vehicle that suits your lifestyle and budget. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the PowerCat pregame podcast. Joined now by one of our football analysts, the old school analyst. Well, you're not old school. I don't know. You're our first analyst. And still number one in our hearts, it's Marcus Watts. How you doing, buddy? Oh, it's winter now. Did you know I, that? Yeah, I'm not accepting it. I've decided yeah, I'm not going to participate. Yeah, it's uh, it's snowing. Well, it's probably snowing in Manhattan where you're at now. I'm out wet in western Kansas, but it was snowing all day. So Lovely, lovely. And talk about things that were hard to envision. Snowing in October and winning over OU. How stunned were you by that? I was stunned. Obviously, um, you know, I didn't give K-State much of a chance. You know, I said things that they would have to do last week that if they wanted to play well in this game, and they did those things. But I still thought even if K-State played its best game, that they were still a two or three touchdown underdog. Yeah. And But they played their best game, and – pretty much took it to Oklahoma the whole game. Yeah. And so I was I was pleasantly surprised and very happy that I was totally wrong on the outcome. <laughs> A lot of us were. In the middle of that game they outscored Oklahoma forty one to six. It's crazy. It's still almost impossible to wrap your mind around that kind of domination. The third quarter limiting Oklahoma to twelve offensive yards. And, and scoring 17 points. It was a crazy day at Bill Snyder Family Stadium, but they have to move on. And I think this Kansas game and Kansas beating Texas Tech is a perfect formula to get K-State refocused and ready for the next task, which is the Sunflower Showdown. What was this game like as a Kansas kid getting ready to play KU? I mean, it always, it's always an important game. Um, unfortunately, I think we talk about this every year when this comes up. I was not as successful as other Kansas State players <laughs> against KU. Um, you know, I remember the first time they beat us, I think it was in 04. You know, I was just playing special teams and we lost to them at, at Kansas. Um, so it always was was not fun. Obviously, that's not a good memory for me, but, uh, you know, it's, it's important not just for – I think for the players, you know, to get another win, to get bowl eligible um, coming this week, but it's also an important game for the fan base. And so there's always that added pressure um, that you want to make your fan base, you know, have the the bragging rights, so to speak. So it's good that this game is right after an Oklahoma game, I think, um, especially with K-State beating Oklahoma because – um, it refocuses the team because it is such a big game, even though KU is not number five in the country, you know, but it also helps that KU won against Texas Tech. I think if KU would have lost, I think it would have been a little bit more difficult of a game for K-State. I don't know why I think that, but I, just I agree. Do. So um, th- that both teams are coming off of a win in such an emotional win that their level of focus and intensity is probably going to be about the same. There's not many similarities between Ron Prince and Bill Snyder, but one of them is neither one of them won their first game against Kansas. 
Not many coaches at K-State have, and Chris Kleiman faces an opportunity to do so, be only the fifth head coach at Kansas State to win their opening game against the University of Kansas. It seems like a task that he's up for. It seems like he understands the importance of it. He kind of sounds like Bill Snyder while saying it's just another game. you got to get ready for all of them. You know in the locker room he's saying we can't lose this. The message has been communicated to him. This is really important to the fan base, and don't screw this up. I'll be interested to see how much it gets and communicated to the And now it's time to break the down players, the game between the Wildcats not, and TCU. Bill Snyder had his team ready for KU. Whether they were vastly better than KU or even the rare time that KU was favored, almost always he had his team ready. And that was an impressive trait for Coach Snyder. We'll see if Coach Kleiman has it too. Yeah, and you know, I you can look at it like North Dakota State versus South Dakota State. Yeah, um, that's about as big as a game for those. You know, even though they're two different states, it, it's a it's the game every year between those two, and so you know that's what it is for this fan base. So I think Coach Kleiman maybe is a little bit different than Coach Ron Prince because I don't know if he ever came really with from that type of a rivalry game in the meaningful of it. Coach Prince is all about winning the big game. Uh, yeah. being the Texas and Oklahoma's or, you know, at that time. And so um, I think Kleiman will have the team ready for it. I think he's focused in on it. He understands um, what this means, not only for the players in your recruiting, but also for the state uh, in your fan base. Is KU better under less miles than they have been the past few years? You know, I don't know if it's less miles because not a lot of these players are less miles players. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, they, Carter Stanley's playing a lot better this year. He's got more growth under him. They got Puka Williams, who's one of the best running backs in Big 12. You know, they got some playmakers on this, on this team. It's just they haven't been able to put it together. Um, now they've, been, they've won, uh, you know, last week against Texas Tech, played well against Texas. Um, but Texas isn't really looking to be as as hyped up as they as they always are at the beginning of the year. Um, so, but they are playing better offensively. Now, defensively, they lost some somebody at the end of the game last week. That's a big loss for one of their starters. Uh, so, they, you know, if K State's defense plays like they did against Oklahoma, or has basically played like they have pretty much all year. I don't see any way K-State can lose this game. I think this K-State-KU game is a, a pretty good matchup, uh, but I don't see how KU has the ball enough to rack up the points. I think K-State plays a lot of keep away, and if K-State runs the ball and keeps it away and owns time of possession, I think they're going to get out of there with a win. But I also understand that uh, for all he said, Les Miles has had this game circled. I mean, he's tried to play it down, and now all of a sudden it's a rivalry when he denied it earlier. He knows it's important. It's going to be a great atmosphere. It often isn't in Lawrence. It often is mostly K-State fans and, you know, passive KU fans that check out pretty quickly. I think it's going to be a pretty packed place and it's going to be about 50 50 and it's going to be a fun day for college football this is good this is really good to have the rivalry mean something doesn't it yeah i mean you looked at this game at the beginning of the year and, and then how k-state was starting big 12 play you're like man is k-state going to be like three and four going in this game and k's going to be two and four a non-meaningful game uh, but k-state's rattle off two wins ku's looked decent um, they've won one, you know, they should have beat Texas. So, 
it, it's it's more important, I think, for the fan bases of the state and, uh, you know, the Big 12, because KU's supposed to be the bottom dweller. And they're supposed to be the not top 10 team in college football. And so, you know, they're playing well. So just it keeps the focus of the players because KU's playing well. If they've been losing all these games and the focus of the players might be a little bit less than it than it actually is. So. Yeah. Hopefully they come to play, get bowl eligible, and move on from there. Well, that's where I wanted to go. How important would it be to get to 6-2, and two, be bowl eligible with four games to play? Man, that seems like you're playing with house money at that point. I, it just seems like that is a best-case scenario, quite frankly, because of this win over OU we didn't see coming. Yeah. I mean, I picked K-State to maybe win six games this year. If they uh-huh. won five, I was going to be happy. And yeah, They're already at five. Seven, eight's not out of the realm yet. Nope, no, you know they keep winning. I, you know, the, the rest of the season, they're all winnable games if they play like they did uh, last week and even against TCU. Because you know TCU's not a bad team. No, I mean they just beat Texas. So if they play like they have been and keep getting better and keep people healthy. Who knows what can happen the rest of the year? Well, as K-State, Oklahoma proved, they're all winnable and they're all could meet in loss because if K-State beats Oklahoma, the gap is never too great in this conference to be made up. It was an impressive win last week. Now they need to put it behind them. K-State at Kansas on Saturday. Marcus, I appreciate it very much. I will be very intrigued to see the emotional energy of these two teams as they get close to kickoff. Because I think this game is about emotion as much as football. you you got to really want this one. And K-State's wanted it more quite often. And honestly, I think KU wanted it more last year. And K-State was just good enough to get away with the 21-17 victory. You are correct. It's one of those emotional games. Like The team that brings it the most from start to finish is going to be the team that wins this game. If K-State can come out and pounce on KU early, maybe get a turnover, get a couple scores up, you may see KU quit. That in, initial punch in the mouth is something that K-State's going to have to come out and give KU at the beginning of the game. And now it's time to hear from Brian Hanley, our football analyst and an offensive guard on the 1997 and 98 Kansas State football teams. Not bad teams that played against Kansas back then. Let's <laughs> dive right in, Brian. What was it like to be in a locker room leading up to, like during the week, leading up to a game with KU? Well, you know, for me and a lot of the guys that were from out of state, it was different because we didn't have the connection, didn't have the the rivalry, especially when I first got there in 97. Now, the next year, clearly it was, you know, we could feel it. But for the guys that were from Kansas, you could feel it. They did not like Kansas. Um, They were very, very intense at practice. The coaches were very intense. So uh, we got up to speed very very quickly very quickly so it made for spirited practices so it was really intense but it was a a fun atmosphere it was really fun to see the guys like i said that were from kansas it was good it was it was fun to see them and their reaction to kansas and how they despised them and just didn't like anything about them so that that was really really fun yeah it's personal and when you have a lot of friends that have gone to Kansas, or in their case, going to Kansas, right. it, it, you don't want to hear from them. You don't want no, to hear after no, a loss. not at all. Coming off a big win like Kansas State is doing, how much of a threat is that emotional letdown? Or does it actually help that this is Kansas and it might offset that possibility? Well, it's there. 
but it does help that it's Kansas to help it offset it. So to be honest, we couldn't be playing them at a better time because coming off the huge win, uh, but it's Kansas and Kansas is playing better. And if guys are paying attention, which most college kids do pay attention, they know that Kansas, at least on the offensive side of the ball, are doing some some things that are pretty good. So guys can see that. They pay attention to that and understand, look, this is a game we got to go out there and play or we're going to lose. And we do not want to lose to Kansas. That sets things just a bad precedent. So I actually believe it's really good that we're playing them this week. Carter Stanley, KU's quarterback, has really settled into this Brent Deerman run-pass option offense quite well. Is it just all on a quarterback? Is it all on a quarterback at this point when you're running the RPOs? you got to make the right read. you got to make the right read. And conversely, the defense – has to trust their eyes and and look be looking at the right things. It literally is on the quarterback. You know, it, it, to describe it, it's basically the opposite of the option offense. Is the quarterback's got to make all the right reads there? Quarterback's got to do the exact same thing with the RPOs. It's on the quarterback to be to make the right reads. Uh, as far as defensive side of the ball, you got to do the same thing. It's just like the option. You got to read your keys. The only difference is that with the option, you know, guys are running. So you can go down the hill with RPOs. It's totally different because even reading your guard keys as a linebacker, you're seeing a guy fire off the line of scrimmage. You're trying to go down the hill, but if they don't go five yards, they can still throw the ball. That makes it so much more difficult. So it's, it really is on the quarterback, but it's with RPO game is so much more difficult for the defense these days. Is this a great offense to be running? If you're a Kansas and you might not have the offensive lineman you want, to compete week in and week out, you kind of cover it up with deception. That's exactly why you do it. That's literally why you do it. You cover it up with the things that you can't, that you're not going to be able to just move people out of the way. So you have to move people with schemes. Nothing wrong with that. A lot of teams do it. Um, and they do it in the NFL, too. So that's kind of where thing. I mean, because guys are too big, too fast. You can't just push everybody off the line of scrimmage these days. So you have to be able to, to manipulate people and manipulate bodies to where you want them to be in this day and age. Everyone's being very careful about this, but in hindsight, it's clear that Brent Deerman was running the offense at Boston College. They scored 48 points. They looked like an entirely different team because they were. They were running a different offense, at least the play calling. Now they're going to deny that that's an NCAA violation because he wasn't a coach at the time. But now coming off of that, they scored another 48 at Texas and then 37 against Texas Tech. Keeping them under 30 seems difficult, but Brian, I'll actually be kind of surprised if K-State lets them get over 30 points. Yeah, I mean, now let's we got to keep it in perspective. You know, some of the teams that they've played, they haven't been defensive juggernauts either. Yeah. You know, it, it, you can say, throw Texas absolutely in that mix. Texas is not a defensive juggernaut, you know, and especially with the, all the injuries that they have. So they haven't played defensive stalwarts. And K-State's a little bit better defensively than anybody. That, not, I shouldn't say a little bit better. They're a lot better than the teams that they have played defensively. So I don't think that keeping them under 30 points is something that can't be done. I'm not saying guaranteeing that it will be done, but I and it's definitely not something I don't believe K-State is not capable of doing. They made some really big plays 
in the passing game. Carter Stanley identifies receivers downfield that might have a step or two, and he's made some good tight window throws. He's really settled in now, and once that quarterback gets confidence like he has, it doesn't matter what offense you're running. I mean, we saw with Skylar Thompson last week against Oklahoma, a confident quarterback that really believes in every throw and is connecting is a dangerous thing, and that's how Carter Stanley's playing right now. Yeah, yeah. A confident quarterback is a good quarterback. Uh, it's just what you mentioned and what we talked about in the postgame last week. The confidence that Skyler got from the week before has just moved on to the OU game, and hopefully that just progresses on and on and on and on. The same thing at KU. I mean, they're, he's just locked in. And when you're locked in, you know, I know they call it you can get in the zone and things of that nature. It's just – Getting in the zone is more of a game or your in-game thing. Where you're locked in week after week after week, that just means you're getting better, you know. And so when the guys are getting better, that's where K State needs to be a little bit more leery and say, "Hey, we need to stop this guy. We need to stop him from doing what he's comfortable with doing." Which, when it comes to that, it just means we're going to have to put a lot of pressure from the front four. We can't afford to blitz everybody because they can throw the ball the back end so we just got to do those kinds of things in case they will be fine with also stopping the run they bring a lot of stuff at you puka williams is really good as a running back parchment is a great receiver and carter stanley's playing well but their defense is very suspect although they do run a three-man front which will be intriguing to see if k-state can take that success from last week in the running game and now attach it to a three-man front which has given them problems i think that we've kind of solved that mystery. Hopefully that we've solved that three man front mystery. And then it's just, we've decided that we're just going to go downhill and do the things that we do and don't let them dictate to us right. that we're going to dictate to them because the kind of what we did last week, although OU runs a four man front, they did a lot of twists and stunts and things of that nature that a three man front does. And we were just able to catch them. Now, if you're going to tell me that KU has the same kind of defensive line or front seven that OU does, uh, okay, that's fine if you want to say that, but I think we all know a little bit different. You're a liar if you're saying that. There you go. So we're just going to have to just do the same things. Just dictate to them, run what we run, run it well, and just go at them, and things will be just fine, especially in the run game. KU has thrived in shootouts. They got into one at Texas in the fourth quarter, an amazing fourth quarter if you love offensive football, defense not so much. Uh, They kind of came back and got into a shootout with Texas Tech and ended up winning on a somewhat fluky play, but you start getting those breaks at at times in your program. you got to take advantage of them. I don't see K-State causing a shootout. They will be so methodical, it'll be hard for KU to kind of get into that shootout rhythm. Well, the thing is, K-State is going to run the football. And if we're going to run the football, we're going to control the football. I mean, we did it against OU. Now, again, OU, that firepower, and, and I know KU has some, some, some good firepower, but it's not the same. But if we do what we do and we just run the football, control the clock, we get a three and out or we get a stop, and then we run it again and control the clock, go on seven, eight, nine, ten-yard drives. I mean, just what you said, it's not going to be a shoot. I don't see this being a shootout. It may be high scoring because we score a lot, but I don't believe that it's going to be a, a shootout because I believe our defense is going to come to play and get the stops that we need. Special teams is an area where K-State can make great advances in this game because – 
KU stinks in special teams. There's no way around it. Even their winning field goal against Tech came off a blocked field goal attempt that was recovered by Tech, fumbled back, and recovered by Kansas for another field goal attempt. So even in winning, they won through bad special teams. I can't figure that one out. But K-State can really wreak some havoc in this area. And they have to, don't they? Yeah, I mean, that's part of, you know, it's always been part of K-State's mantra is special teams, special teams, special teams. Make big plays. And it makes the game easier when you can do those kinds of things. And like I said, man, I've watched a lot of football over the years. I've never seen a team block a kick and then give the ball back because you just pitch it to nobody. I've, I've literally never seen that before. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. But K-State's got to be able to take advantage of that. And not just in blocking kicks and things of that. I'm talking about the whole the field position game, which, which personally I believe we have the best punter in college football. The field position game. If it comes down to that, we have to punt the football. You know, getting big returns in, on kickoffs and things of that nature. Pitting them back. We just need to Take advantage of that advantage. And that's, I believe it's a huge advantage. Just take advantage. Field position is everything in college football. We got to be able to take advantage of it when we can. And I believe this is a game where our advantage is so great. Now I sit here and say that and it'll turn out bad, but our advantage is so great. We just need to take advantage of all of it and make that our own and just own it. He's Brian Hanley. He's one of our football analysts, and he and I will convene back here in the WTC gig-powered studios. Well, I'll be here. He's in Texas. It's going to be a long commute if he wants to come in for that one. Uh, as soon as this K-State and Kansas game comes to a conclusion in Lawrence, it kicks at 2.30 on Saturday afternoon. So in the early evening, we will meet up via phone and talk about what we expect to be a K-State victory. Now, as we close here, Brian, let me put you on the spot. Will this be a K-State victory? This will be a K-State victory. Uh, like I mentioned before, I believe K-State's going to own both sides of the line of scrimmage. And if we're going to own both sides of the line of scrimmage, it's hard to lose football games that way. I mean, there can be turnovers and things of that nature, but we cleaned a lot of that stuff up. Uh, I see this being a game. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a blowout, but I believe this is going to be a, a game that K-State puts their thumb on and gets us going for the second half of our season and just gets us going downhill from there. Let's wrap up our analyst section of the Powercat pregame podcast with Kelly Stewart, our gambling expert, our odds maker, our person of the lines, a.k.a. Kelly in Vegas on social media. She started in the Showtime series action. If you haven't seen it, you need to go see it. There's a real freak in that show. I don't understand your people in your industry. Uh, find her, <laughs> find her at wagertalk.com. Yeah, I usually get made fun of in the action. of I can't believe you let them do that to your face. Well, I'm trying to uh, to beat the aging process, and uh, for some reason I decided that it was okay to let a camera crew follow me in. Hey, it is what it is. Let's be honest. In the society in which we live, if you want to be a woman on TV or the Internet or whatever, you kind of got to be hot. It's a sad reality. It, for the I, most I, part, okay that's true. That. It's Yeah, no, I'm okay with the reality because you're right. That is exactly what it is. And uh, when my dad saw the episode, he said, quote, unquote, I didn't know you were so vain. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is fun. I'm glad we're getting such good feedback on this. Hey, let's be blunt here. If I needed to lose weight and look better to uh, be existing as a male in this industry, I would do it. But I don't. It's a horrible double standard, but it's there. 
It's there. It is really funny. I joke about that often uh, with some of my wager talk coworkers about, you know, not all of us can be the big fat ugly guys on TV and they think I'm mean. <laughs> hey, I am what I am. I'm very attractive on podcasts because you can't. Hey, see I've me. seen your old yearbook photo every mm-hmm. once in a while or mm-hmm. your old, I believe it was like maybe this line of newspaper photo. You had lots of hair and uh-huh. it was flowing with yep. love. Yep. I was, I was skinny. I had hair. Don't even know who I am anymore. Well, let's get to this uh, K-State KU game. It's an intriguing game. It really is. KU looks like it's stirred to life under this new offensive coordinator. And K-State goes in there at, what, about a six-point favorite into Lawrence this Saturday. What do you think of that spread? Yeah, you you mentioned Brent Deerman. Oh, my God. All of a sudden, comes in. They take Texas to the wire. Now, should they have probably went to overtime with Texas Tech? Sure, that was a crazy ending. That is the only part of that game I watched. I had I had no skin in the game. I leaned with Texas Tech. I didn't end up firing on them, and I said, you know, I'll watch to see how this one ends. And sure enough, missed or blocked field goal. I don't know what that guy was trying to do lateral. Uh, That's crazy. Not a good play. Should have just fell on the ball and went to overtime. I mean, the fact that you got the blocked field goal should have – giving you enough momentum to say, okay, hey, we can beat KU in overtime. But, man, they are pulling out all the stops, scoring 43 points per game, covered their last two. I mean, this is an emotional spot for K-State, and I tweeted about it several times. And hopefully Coach Cly has this team under wraps. You know, whenever you have those big, crazy upsets – we know what kind of happens the next week. We saw it with Mississippi State. We were a double-digit um, underdog, closed about a touchdown underdog, but we opened a double-digit underdog at Mississippi State, got the win, then we got ranked in the top 25, and then just looked super flat against Oklahoma State the following week. Now, I'd like to think K-State's not going to look flat against the KU team who's looked really stellar this last two weeks, but that is a concern of mine. Now, K-State has been favored by double digits in the series for basically my entire adult life. I mean, <laughs> since I was in college, K-State has been a monster favorite all but once. That one time, K-State beat them like 59 to 7. It was ridiculous. Yeah, I'm not quick to run to the window here with K-State. I do believe K-State is going to dominate this game. I believe they're going to be able to run all over this KU defense. But I've also seen this before where we call it more of a letdown spot, and, and it makes me nervous. So hopefully uh, any coaches listening, you guys got to – they know, reel these guys back in. You know, we're going to celebrate, but we're going to celebrate after beating KU and then we're bowl eligible. It's a big game for K-State for that reason. You can get that out of the way. Beat your rival. Move at bowl eligibility off the table. It's done. You've got it. You can play your other four games. This is really enormous for K-State in many ways, including recruiting and bragging rights and all that good stuff. Tim, and I've said this, and I think you know this, and 90% of the listeners on this podcast know this, that there is a precedent that's set. When K-State goes into Allen Fieldhouse and gets beat by 20-plus in basketball over the last literally 30 years of my life, um, it is expected to K-State during football season, no matter if it's home or away, lays the proverbial hammer on this team. And so I hope that, you know, maybe that was a Bill Snyder precedent, but hopefully Coach Clyde keeps that going because it is expected. Now, K-State got the win over KU basketball last year. They kind of got that monkey off their back, um, and hopefully they can do so again this year. But I believe that that expectation is still there, regardless of what K-State basketball does in Manhattan. We still know that when you go to Allen Fieldhouse, it's a tough place to get a W. So hopefully they know that going into Saturday and do not take their foot off the gas. I I tweeted that and I said, you know, 
don't pull a Bill Snyder. As much as I love Bill and what he did for this program, we were joking about it before, about how he made us all snotty little K-State fans, all of us that are <laughs> under 40, because all we did was win. And it's the, the precedent was set. No, I don't remember one win K-State seasons. I wasn't born yet, or I was five years old. I don't recall. But the precedent is now set, and hopefully Coach Kleiman sticks with that precedent. Well, it was a close game last year. KU, you could see closing the talent gap or K-State coming back to KU. Whatever the case is, things closed up. This KU offense is legitimate. I'm a little freaked out by uh, the over-under. It's at 55 it is at 55. Now it's come down. I saw 58 oh. when it first opened 57 and a half. Uh, my dad's hilarious. He couldn't wait to bet it under. And I was like, Oh, this is kind of interesting here. And uh, we talked about it. And now it looks like the market agrees with them. Uh, listen, there is going to be a lot of effort offensively from both sides, but the fact that obviously sharp betters, big money's coming in on that under says this is going to be, a closer game. This is going to be a hard-fought game. K-State defense, I, I'm telling you right now, K-State defense is going to be the difference maker. If they were able to contain Jalen Hurts, surely they can contain Stanley. I would think so. I, I would. Carter Stanley's playing the best football of his life. He's very comfortable in this run-pass option offense. Dearman is running. They've got great offensive weapons. That's not the problem for KU. They can obviously score points, but they also can't stop other teams. Um, they Texas scored at will late in the game, and, and Texas Tech got off to a fast start and then let their foot off the gas and let KU back into it and then had the biggest bonehead play of the college football season to end up losing that game in regulation. I, I don't know what to think of this game. I'm so baffled by the emotional energy that could come out of the two teams. One team could be really high and the other low, both high, both low. I I don't know what we're going to see from these teams under two new head coaches. It's just virtually impossible to predict. I do think K-State's the better team overall. That defense for K-State does a pretty good job if K-State can control the tempo and control the ball. KU thrives in shootouts, and K-State is methodical on offense. Yes. That's got to balance Absolutely. out. You're right. I'm looking at this. I'm looking at my notes on the game, and it says K-State blowout if they win the time of possession. You're right. If K-State does that methodical K-State thing, which is probably why my dad leaned towards the under, it could be a 35-10 type game. Because if K-State's able to wear them down defensively, they're going to be able to run all over them. And it's going to kill the clock and going to ensue a K-State win. If K-State's defense, I mean, you know, I, I'm trying to look at it like we know that Gallon's out for the rest of the season, trying to look and see how that defense is going to play around him. And I think they're going to step up in his absence. Yeah. We have uh, some different handicapping theories, and one is the player injured player theory. Whenever you lose a big player on either side of the ball, the, the rest of the team steps up in their absence. And so I'm hoping that's exactly what happens here uh, this weekend. Like I said, I don't think I'm going to get to the window on this game. I think I got to cheer just silently from the sports book. <laughs> <laughs> it's a slow week in the Big 12 this week as we kind of pivot now to the other games. Both Oklahoma and Texas are off. We start off Thursday night, which is tonight in the recording of this, with West Virginia and Baylor. What are your thoughts on that game? Listen, I'd love to make a case for West Virginia, but speaking of terrible defenses, I can't do so. Then you have this Baylor team, 7-0, and top 15, almost yeah. number 16 Baylor. And 
I don't know. They have this. Uh, they have to revenge their loss from last year over West Virginia, and this is the the perfect spot to do it. I think I kind of said somebody last year or last night on Twitter. They said, you know, Coach Klein, Big Twelve Coach of the Year, and I go, I think Matt Rule has something to say about that. Exactly. Now, Coach Klein did inherit a down program in K-State history. I wouldn't say he inherited a bad program. Matt Rule inherited a dumpster fire. He literally legitimately chose to take over a team in shambles, and they are just clicking. It looks like, to me, Baylor pass. Again, I'd love to make a case for West Virginia, but, man, they are – they scare me defensively, and I think this Baylor team, while they have shown moments of weakness against teams named Rice – I think they just didn't care. I think now yeah. that they're clicking on all cylinders, they're ready to rock and roll. I think they're enjoying being the only undefeated team in the Big 12. That's showing up right now on my phone as a 17.5-point favorite Baylor at home. That's a lot of points, but the Bears are pretty darn good, and West Virginia might be the worst team in the Big 12 right now. It's going to be interesting to see how that sorts out. The only other Very game Saturday in the Big 12 is TCU goes to Oklahoma State, and I'll be damned if I can figure out either one of these teams. They're good, they're bad, they're good, they're bad. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I am still kicking myself for not playing Oklahoma State last week. We talked about it. I had it on my long sheet, and I didn't pull the trigger. And sure enough, they go in to Ames, Iowa, and went out right, and I am just mad at myself going, you know what, you like this, and you just sat back and didn't play it. You're, you're, you hit the nail on the head, Tim. Who can figure out TCU? Who can figure out Oklahoma State? These teams have been so back and forth this season that it makes it really hard. TCU off that nice win over Texas, I think, might be a little too big for their britches. I really like Spencer Sanders and what he's been able to do. He did only turn the ball over once at Iowa State. He's kind of a gunslinger, so he did make me kind of nervous, which is why I didn't back them last week. But I'm not going to lay the points here with TCU. I think you has beaten them two times in a row. I think this is the Cowboys game to win here. This is going to be a close one. I have it on my notes as 28-24 for what that means. I don't think it's going to go under the total, but for some reason, I don't have either one of these teams scoring an awful lot of points. Uh, as we've seen before, they can definitely put up the big numbers. She's Kelly Stewart, a Kansas State graduate and a very good odds maker slash whatever you are. Uh <laughs> I, I just love your job. I wish I uh, I wish I had your job, but I couldn't do it. She works for wagertalk.com nowadays, and you can find her over at Bleacher Report once in a while, every week. And you can check out the videos Wager Talk does now for gopowercat.com, covering each K-State football game. Kelly, I thank you very much. You're very welcome. We'll have a video up uh, for tonight. Hopefully you guys will have it on your site by tomorrow. Excited to break down this K-State game with a couple other guys. We've heard from the Go Cat staff as well as our GPC analysts and Scott Chasen of Fog.net, the Kansas site on the 24-7 Sports Network. After three home games, Kansas State returns to the road with a short trip to Lawrence to face Coach Les Miles Jayhawks in a game with important stakes to both programs. Subscribers to GoPowerCat.com can read my five keys to victory analysis Friday at the site, but in a minute, I will give you my prediction for this game. As we wrap up this week's PowerCat pregame podcast sponsored by Robbins Motor Company, where they strive to earn lifetime business and build relationships, selling quality cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, offering top-notch parts and service, I have a special announcement. A subscription to GoPowerCat.com 
Tom now comes with a free, no-ads subscription to CBS's all-access streaming service. It adds more than $100 of value when you sign up for our award-winning coverage of K-State sports at GoPowerCat.com. I will return to the WTC Gig Parrot Studios following Saturday's game in Lawrence. And GoPowerCat football analyst Brian Hanley and I will break down what took place between the Cats and Hawks with our PowerCat post-game podcast. And now it's time for my game prediction. And after a long string of misses, I'm confident I have this outcome right. Kansas State 38, Kansas 24. I'm Go Power Cap publisher Tim Fitzgerald. It's K-State versus KU Saturday at 2.30 p.m. in Lawrence, Kansas. You've been listening to the Power Cat pregame podcast presented by Robbins Motor Company. PowerCat Podcast, all rights reserved, gopowercat.com and Spirit Street Publishing. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.